Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So uh, how, how different is this world that we live in? Well, compared to what? I mean, that's a pretty vague question. I know, I, I get that, but too bad. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. Say you lived in in uh, the United States and you wanted to communicate with somebody in perhaps Europe, you'd write down on a piece of paper what you wanted to correspond and give it to a man on a horse and he would ride across the country to the coastal town and your letter would be put on a ship and the ship would sail to to Europe and then the message is finally received. Do you think while that question is in tra- uh, transit that you might come up with other questions? I mean... I mean, how did we, how would you even know that there's somebody in Europe that you could have that conversation with? How, how did people connect not that long ago when the way to communicate was, you know, writing stuff down on pieces of paper and, and physically transporting them across the country or across the world? So how different is our life today? (laughs) Are you kidding me? You can, in your first cup of coffee in the morning, visit university um, uh, um, libraries. You can search. You can have the, the search engine itself scan thousands, if not millions, of web pages and connect you to people you didn't know about before you clicked in her. So we're really being bombarded. Now we're carrying around phones in our pocket and and they are um they have the potential to eternally eternally distract us and keep us in our heads. So it'd be quite a different thing if you were born back in the day. Mom and dad didn't have any fret or worry going on because they didn't know about anything. I don't I don't care if, if them knowing about something is good or bad. I'm just saying when the baby is born, it had a pretty uh, calm and tranquil environment compared to what we have today. Hey, I'm I'm super stoked about tonight's podcast. The topic tonight is sensory processing solutions, and our guest is Dr. Sally Fryer Deeps. We're going to bring her on in just a minute, but I want to go back to this this um, really uh, chaotic environment that we live in. As as adults, I would suggest we've become numb to the volume of data that has bombarded our psyches. We've just got used to 
taking in so much information day in and day out. As adults, we've become uh, numb, desensitized, um, and who knows what else, because we live in such a tsunami of information. But tonight's show, I'm so stoked. Tonight's show is is about our little ones. And I'm going to... I'm going to let you in on a little, uh, it's not a secret, but I just recently became a grandfather. And when I look at my little granddaughter, I sat with her and, and just held still. Um, I've, I've meditated for decades. And I'm looking at her psyche. I'm, I'm holding her in my hands and I'm looking at her psyche, her, her consciousness, and there's nothing going on. There's no past or future, anything, anything. She's just there. Talk about being in the now. And and we 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 shared a moment, you might say. And it touched me very profoundly because when I met her in that stillness, I felt like I I got a a, a peek into heaven, consciousness in and of itself, witnessing consciousness in and of itself without motive or agenda. No no information storm, no distraction. Just simple awareness, simple presence. It cleaned my clock. It showed me a whole new spectrum of what what love, what love is. Because, boy, did she have my heart from right off the top. I mean, it's like my heart melted or burst or whatever. All a good thing. But what about our little ones? Kids are getting born all the time. They're being brought into our society. And our society is so chaotic. Our society is so, I I guess I'd say, demanding in a way. I guess you could live in a cave up in a mountain and isolate yourself from the, the data storm. But for most of us, we're pretty much entrenched in it. So how does a precious little consciousness of a baby, how, what can we do for our kids being brought into this data storm, so to speak? What can we do to keep them as, as authentic and organic and whole and and I I mean, I think as a parent that um, you want the best for your for your kids. You do. I mean, they turn out to be little runts sometime, and you know that's part of the learning process of being a parent. But what do we do to to meet them on their terms, not to bring them into the data storm, but but to see how precious they are and and manage that preciousness, I guess I would say. 
we're going to have plenty to talk about tonight, so I think we should jump into it. Again, the topic tonight is sensory processing solutions, and our guest is Dr. Sally Fryer-Dees. Sensory processing solutions, drug-free therapies to realize your children's, your child's potential is the name of her latest book. Every person, whether baby, child, teenager, or adult, interacts with the world in their own unique way. Yet some have a harder time than others due to a variety of sensory processing issues which can lead to motor delays, learning differences, frustration, anxiety, emotional behavior, and social challenges, as well as diagnosis like ADHD and autism spectrum. As sensory integration expert, Dr. Dietz reveals, these children are not broken. They are all unique. Some just need more options and new ways to approach the world in order to make better sense of it. Dr. Sally Fryer-Dietz is the founder and director of Integrative Pediatric Therapy and Integrative Concussion Therapy in Dallas, Texas. She lectures and teaches nationally and internationally on sensory integration, development therapy, craniosacral therapy, concussion rehabilitation, and the efficacy of combining traditional and alternative treatment methods. In addition to sensory processing solutions, Sally has authored When Kids Fly, Solutions for Children with Sensory Integration Challenges. Join me in welcoming Dr. Sally Dietz to the show. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's great to be here. We get to talk about our little ones. How cool is that? It's pretty cool. They're they're pretty special and awesome. That's for sure. Well, I I noticed in your in your book that you're talking about firsthand experience with this. I mean, I I know reading your your background as I just did that you're immersed in this arena, but You've got some skin in the game with this book because of your own experience with your own children. Can you share with us how you came around to writing these books? Well, actually, it's it's what uh, led me into practice. I've been a physical therapist for over 40 years, and I've been involved in child development my you know from when I went to college all through my professional degrees. And so working with kids is just who I am. Um, so it was natural that, you know, when I got married, I wanted to have a family and have children. And, you know, that seemed very comfortable and easy for me to to do. And um, I had two, you know, beautiful little boys. Uh, my oldest son, when he was about five, he was, um, his teacher raised some concerns about him that he he didn't want to do what they wanted him to do in school. He was in a Montessori school at that time. And um, and I couldn't see the things she was even talking about. You know, this is what I did for a living, and yet this is my child. 
I knew how smart he was. I could see what he was doing and how he behaved and operated at home was very different from how he was doing things at school. So um, I took him, you know, the teacher suggested I take him to the pediatrician. So I did. And he said, well, sounds like he's got ADHD and he was five years old. And here's some uh, stimulant medication and why don't you try it and see how he does. And at the time I was actually married to a physician. Um, We were a medical family and I had worked in child development with children with, you know, ADHD and autism and developmental delays and learning differences. And he did not appear like that at all to me. Um, but I, I, you know, against my gut and my wishes, um, put him on the medication and watched him go from this exuberant little boy to being very quiet and focused and very depressed. And so I, that wasn't working for me or for him. So I got a second opinion. They said the same thing. They said he needed a different cocktail of medications, a stimulant and an antidepressant. So I went to the a third second opinion or a third opinion in that case. And I was told, you know, put him in another school. He probably needs to be on medicine and everything else. And every place I went, I asked, well, is there anybody who could work with him here? I've been used to working in San Francisco where I worked with kids in sensory integration, but there was nobody in Dallas, Texas who uh, did sensory integration therapy. And I was his mother. I could not be his therapist. That's a different relationship. And um, I couldn't find anybody here. So uh, I actually opened my clinic for him. Um, But again, I couldn't be his therapist. Uh, so I hired somebody to work with him, and um, I, you know, began to find there were so many kids out there who were being misunderstood from their behaviors that uh, they were just kind of getting, you know, medicated as a first line of defense. And um, you know, I created this environment where kids could we could really build on their success and work on their sensory systems, figure out what the real problems were. And, you know, he was able to do very well without medication through his uh, school years. He would be in therapy and and then he would be doing great and he didn't have to do therapy for a while. And as soon as he'd go through a growth spurt, we'd need to bring it back in again. And so, you know, he was my greatest teacher. And, you know, through him, um, I sought out, you know, lots of different options for helping kids just like him um, to, you know, really find ways to access their full potential and do well without, um, you know, taking a a growing young child and having to medicate them as their first line of defense. And, you know, sometimes medications are, are needed and are useful, but I don't think they should be the very first thing that we do with kids in development and and that's you know proved to be very very true in my professional experience of now well over 40 years you know working with kids uh, just like him Um, that same little boy grew up he's now a father of two beautiful little girls and he's a very successful attorney so (laughs) you you can you know it, it takes some persistence and some time but it doesn't mean that 
there's not a happy end in sight, but you just have to keep looking and learning and, and realizing all the different things that um, you do have access to that can really help children to be successful and feel good about who they are. Nice. Well, you talked about um, when they when they started going to school, the teachers reported were reporting to you behaviors that you didn't see yourself. So, I mean, so if I'm a new parent and I'm listening to the show, I mean, anybody who's had more than one kid knows that there's distinct personality differences between each kid. I mean, I, they can be similar, but often um, one sibling to another can be a completely different rodeo, so to speak. I mean, and and, and, and some of it can be like, uh, um, like if you look at a, a Chihuahua dog, um, they're feisty little, you know, they've got... A, a lot of fight in them, and that's that's their, I guess I might say, genetic disposition. So when you look at, if I'm a new parent and I'm seeing behavior in my kid, how can you discern when uh, some of their behavior is is um, sensory overload? I don't or whatever. Right compared to just a personality attribute that's natural. Right. Well, it can be really very tricky because when kids are at home, that's their comfort zone. And, you know, as parents, we know our children better than anybody. And intuitively, we, we intuit what it is they need. And so unconsciously, you don't even have to um, expect that much from them so you might not see some of the challenges that they're having. You know, with teachers, teachers are definitely, they're not the enemy by any means. It's just our society is so geared towards, um, you know, getting little ones, toddlers to learn how to write, you know, to do developmental activities, sometimes even before they're developmentally ready for them. But with the pressure in school, and certainly different communities have different um, you know, educational systems, whether you're in a public school or a private school, um, you know, there are some private schools that are extremely competitive and there are parents who really want their children to go to these schools and they're put into situations where a lot is expected of them. And when kids are pushed to do things that they're not developmentally ready for, especially if they're very bright, they tend to withdraw from those activities and other activities that can actually help them build on those skills. Um, you know, for example, the teacher in my son's case, he didn't he didn't like to write. He you know, he didn't he just didn't like to write, but he could do Legos at home and build these great Lego <laughs> creations, but he couldn't use a you know, pencil or a crayon to write his name or to, you know, put together um, senses, which is something called motor planning, how you, you know, organize your, your um, uh, you know, thoughts to get your ideas on paper and also your body awareness, how you organize your body to be able to do different kinds of motor skills. And that's how um, children grow and develop and, and uh, get better at their motor skills. 
And so if there's something that's getting in the way of how kids are putting those things together, it has nothing to do with their intelligence. It has to do with how they're able to express it, especially in environments where they are not as comfortable and where there's more expectations being placed on them um, than we might place on them at home. So right. that's, that's why you start, you know, getting reports back from school that, a, you know, a teacher really is in a great position to be able to, you know, she's got a whole classroom of kids and they've seen a lot of children and the ones, you know, who everything seems to go along great, they just kind of coast on through. But the ones who are kind of falling out of that norm tend to, you know, stand out a little bit more. And they're really doing parents a service by bringing, um, you know, their concerns up um, because there are so many things you can do about it. And the earlier you address it, the better. Um, certainly, you know, when it comes to using non-medicated uh, tools. Right. Well, now, um, I'm going to, I'm going to just ask one question, but it's a big step back. We're we're, we're stepping way out of the topic. What if, um, because elementary school and middle school and high school, we have these tests and we have these benchmarks and everybody needs to toe the line and there's a lot of expectation. The reason I ask this question is your extensive so many decades of working with children, do you think if we if we took all that uh, structure, the the um, measuring stick, if you will, and we blew it open and allowed artists to be artists and you know uh, brainiacs to do math and whatnot, do you think? Um, it would serve us as a society to kind of dissolve this this rigid structured template that our academic um, platform tends to prefer. Well, I do think um, that teaching to a test or teaching to expectations of performing a specific task is probably not an ideal form of education. You know, we're all very different, um, but I really do believe in giving kids as many options as they can to find their own way and to self-actualize in their own, you know, what are their interests? You know, for right. for example, you know, a, a young child, if they have a motor coordination problem um, and it has to do with their sensory motor system, which when you have those kinds of issues, a lot of times it has to do with your vestibular system, which is how you perceive movement and balance. Um, so kids who've had chronic ear infections can have vestibular dysfunction. And if you don't address those things and work on that underlying foundational piece, they can't get their body organized and coordinated enough to be able to do, you know, certain physical activities that might lead them, you know, in one direction or, you know, become an artist because their fine motor skills, they can't control their body well enough to be able to have 
some kind of joy in expressing something creative. So, you know, if you can, if you can help support them early on to be as, um, as, you know, functional with as many different, you know, opportunities as they have available to them, it just opens more doors for them to discover who it is they really are and what is it that they really want to do. Right. Well, um, as you shared, it, it's not uncommon for the uh, medical industry to prescribe medication to kids, to young kids. And some of the stuff is pretty strong stuff. The um, When we look at uh, terms like ADHD and autism, and uh, do you... Do you think that the, the the populace, the industry, the default standard of addressing these, quote, symptoms, unquote, do you think we could have a, a, a markedly different outcome if we um, worked, uh, became aware of our children's ability to process the, the sensory information at an earlier age, and and perhaps a kid would be tagged with one of those um, quote symptoms unquote. In in other words, how much of this? Um, uh, so many of our kids are tagged with these ADHD and autism and and other types of um, problems. How much of that do you think could be resolved without the traditional medication path? Well, it's it's, it's interesting. The numbers definitely have gone up in some more um, severe developmental disabilities like autism. Um, It's important to understand that all children, no matter if they're gifted or average or above average or below average or severely impaired, all of us have to develop along the same lines of taking in sensory information and processing it through our central nervous system. And when there's something getting in the way of that, and sometimes nobody knows what causes problems, I I suspect it has a lot to do with our environment and a little bit of like even what you talked about in your introduction you know we're so bombarded with um, uh, computer technology and electromagnetic energy and all kinds of stuff that you know what does that do to a child's nervous system even in utero so you know there's lots of research going on trying to figure out the whys but at the same time we have all these kids who are having trouble. Um, COVID did not help anything. You know, we we put all these kids and gave them even more um, computer technology, uh, and they were isolated at home, and they got to see people with masks on their faces and didn't have any of the, you know, early socialization that goes on in school for, you know, as long as we were all, you know, kind of isolated and locked down. And, you know, we're really seeing an epidemic of kids with sensory processing problems today um, as a result of just 
general development, you know, because, again, of all these same things, um, and then just the environment that we're living in. Um, our whole world, you know, kids don't get to just go out and play anymore or come up with their own games and run around till dinner time. You know, it's the world's not safe anymore. Everything's organized. Um, you know, we have kids who are so overscheduled, they go to, you know, their guitar lesson and then they go take their Japanese and then they go to soccer and then they might even have, you know, something else after that. And, you know, they're exhausted. So, you know, it's important to take a step back and look at what does just general development require. And that is, you know, having the opportunity to take in information and, um, and, and use it you know, be able to um, experience movement and different, you know, kinds of things that's not, um, you know, to be able to swing and to spin and to roll down a hill and, you know, typical, um, you know, things that help to stimulate uh, a child's nervous system. Um, Even, you know, babies, uh, the way we set up babies today with, there's this, you know, new trend of swaddling babies for a long time, and it's interfering with their primitive reflexes um, and their ability to integrate those reflexes because they can't move. They're swaddled so they sleep for a longer period of time, and then they don't move and they don't integrate those reflexes, and then we have problems later that are related to those reflexes that aren't integrated. <laughs> You know, right. so it's just, you know, our culture has kind of set us up um, to have things that really can be completely prevented. It doesn't mean it would eliminate, um, you know, diagnoses of autism or ADHD or, you know, other things. Those just kind of give us, um, I'm not, I'm not big on, on labels, certainly, but, you know, the unfortunate, you know, thing is, you know, kids in school, if, um, you know, to qualify for services or to be able to get the help that they might need, you kind of, it goes with a label. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a complex issue <laughs> for right. our you know, culture today. Right. Well, now, can you give us some examples, I mean, of, of, of kids that you've worked with or observed their treatment, what I'm what I'm getting at is, so I'm a new parent. And I'm listening to this podcast, and and um, and my kid might be acting up in one way or another. Can you share just a couple of examples of the before yeah. and after? So uh, here's here's a good one, and this is a, actually a fairly common scenario. You know, the um, the little boy, the little boys always get pegged first because they tend to be a little bit louder than the little girls. <laughs> the little girls may do the same <laughs> thing, but if they don't make a lot of noise, they tend to get ignored. Whereas the little boy, um, you know, tends to be a little bit more assertive in some of these things, so they they kind of get get picked on more, but. Um, he's in, you know, first grade. He's five or, you know, kindergarten, first grade, and he's he doesn't want to write. And that's a a big thing. You know, the, uh, parents come in and say the teacher says he doesn't want to write, and I need somebody to work on his handwriting. 
And it's never about the handwriting. <laughs> you know, that's a symptom. You know, when you don't write, there's something that's, that's going on between your eyes and your hands, your bilateral coordination, your postural control, and all these other things. So we look at, well, how is he sitting in a chair? You know, and you look at him, he's sitting in a chair, and he's wiggling all over in the chair, and the teacher thinks he's got attention problems because he can't sit still. And then you go and you test his postural strength, and it turns out he has no postural muscles. And that's why he's wiggling all over the place. So it's a lot easier to move than it is to sit still or to stand still. So these kids tend to be in constant motion, which makes people think that they're very active and, you know, or really they just need to get out there and run. And they can run because it's easier to run than it is to sit still. So, you know, it's this behavior that they're seeing, but nobody's kind of understanding what it is that's going on underneath that. So a treatment for something like that would be we want to work on the vestibular system, which is that balance and postural control and bilateral coordination. And the kinds of activities are we want to get their feet off the ground because we want to stimulate that vestibular system in a different way than they're getting from just running around. Um, so we have hanging obstacle courses, and they're using their muscles in different ways, and they're having to coordinate both sides of their body together to hold on to, like, a rope swing, to swing to a little frog swing that they're going to jump onto, and then they get onto a big mat, and they crawl over a barrel, and then they go through the barrel. And so they're going through all these different, you know, up and down moves using all the muscles of their body in a very coordinated way. And so for this child, it's like play. And to watch these kids, you'd think, wow, they're really, they're having fun. They're using their body in a different novel way that is doing all this neural stimulation to get both sides of the brain to work together, the hands and the eyes to work better together, and that posture control to strengthen and, you know, it doesn't happen overnight that, <laughs> uh, right. you know, a week later you're able to sit still in a chair. It's a, it's a process. But what we see is very quickly when kids start building on the success of using their body in new ways that they're successful with, they become more engaged and they start doing more things with their body that begins to build faster and faster. So you really set children up for being able to get more activities and more experiences that can can really help to build their their nervous systems um, and then along with that there's a lot of education talking to parents and talking to the teachers about what we call is a sensory diet which isn't what you're eating necessarily but it's the activities that help to feed that particular nervous system you know there's some kids who they need a lot of stimulation to get their body in that just right arousal state to be able to pay attention. Whereas there's other kids who are so overstimulated, they need calming activities that have to calm down their nervous system so that they can be in that just right zone. So you can see how important it would be to work, you know, with parents and with teachers and uh, everybody all together, you know, to really set up, you know, success and understanding, you know, what it is these kids, you know, really need to be able to learn and pay attention and have new experiences. 
Very, very nice. I like that. Do, do you have an, Do you have another example? I mean, um, that, that one was be fabulous. That well, that's a pretty that's a pretty typical one. Here's a, a, another one: the the you know little girl who gets in trouble in school because she's always getting out of line. That's another one that that comes up. You know, she's kind of restless and wants to run around, doesn't want to go you know be close to the other kids, stands on the playground away from everybody and kind of watches them. But if she has to be in a line to you know block somewhere, is getting in trouble because if she gets too close to somebody, she might hit them or, you know, push to get out of line and not want to do that. And in an evaluation, we might discover that she's got a lot of tactile sensitivities. And when you have problems with your tactile system, that's the most closely related to your behavior. Um, it's one of the, your first sensory systems that's developed actually even in utero, uh, the sense of touch and, and feeling. And some kids can be extremely hypersensitive to touch or even the perceived um, perceived touch. You don't even have to touch them, you just have to stand close enough to make them feel uncomfortable and, you know, their response is they kind of go into a fight or flight and, you know, hit somebody or want to get out of line so they're always in trouble because, you know, they're just uncomfortable in their own skin. So, um when we look at learning and development in these sensory systems, whether it's a tactile system or the vestibular system or what the another system called the proprioceptive system, that's how you perceive your joints and your muscles, um, those three sensory systems all have to work together in harmony in order to learn and behave appropriately to social cues that you can pick up. So if there's an imbalance in any of those sensory systems, you can have these kind of what can look like unusual behaviors pop up, you know, where they they don't want to be involved with somebody or they're overly involved or um, whatever. So the treatment um, addresses those sensory systems. So if you had a lot of tactile issues, we might incorporate um, – there's you know brushing programs for the skin, and there's different um, proprioception is a good way to kind of combat some of that tactile sensitivity. So activities with jumping and heavier pressure, and sometimes um, some little compression vests can help. Uh, children with tactile sensitivities, a lot of times they'll have you've got little hair um, sensors in your ears, you know, to, that perceive sound. And they can be overly sensitive to sound. So there's listening programs and there's different things that we can do to help calm that auditory system uh, that works, again, you know, along the same lines as that tactile system. So, you know, every, every child, every person is very different in how they, um, you know, they approach the world. So every treatment is always going to need to be you know, specialized just for that individual and whatever those those needs are. And to make it even more complicated, you can have variances from day to day and even hour to hour. If somebody didn't sleep well the night before, they right. may have more problems the next day. Or you know, so it really takes a skilled therapist to be able to help sort out certainly the more complex um, issues. But it you know it 
tends to show up in behavior. And, um, and it also shows up in speech and language. You know, a lot of kids who have vestibular uh, challenges have problems with speech and language because they share the same neural pathways as your, you know, balance and coordination. So as soon as we add, you know, a lot of um, speech gets addressed very early in school because it's an obvious, um, you know, thing. If you can't talk, then you tend to get services to help you talk. Um, we're, you know, very fortunate that we have a multidisciplinary team, so we're able to work with the body. You know, speech therapists aren't just sitting in a room working with a child and their speech and language, but they're able to, you know, work with them on the swings and really working with their vestibular system at the same time, which helps to really open up those speech pathways as well uh, with the speech and language. So, you know, the, the more tools you have available to you, the better able you are to address a lot of these problems that we see in kids that show up in school in particular. Right. Well, of course, they could get your book because uh, your your book uh, talks about the language of of this type of uh, uh, drug free therapies. But so if I'm a parent, if it's a parent, I'm a parent. No, wait, that's mm-hmm. stress lines. Um, what are some of the uh, so so my doctors tell like you just shared you went to several doctors and they're all saying here's a new cocktail you know bottoms up and uh, if if my gut as a parent says uh, there's a better path there's a better route when we go to look for support what are some of the specialists and now I'm asking the medical terms, the professional terms of the type of person that would work with a child in this organic way. I mean, if 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 I don't know anything, I don't know where to look, I don't know what to look for. I know. I know. And it and it depends on state to state and community to community. Um the country the, to country. Who, yeah, country to country. What you want to look for is a physical or an occupational therapist who is trained specifically in um, sensory integration and you know neurodevelopmental therapy. Um, you know, all pediatric pediatric therapists, pediatric physical therapists, pediatric occupational therapists, pediatric speech therapists are are unique in that that's all they work with is children. They really understand children. Um, So you need to have a therapist who is specific in working with developmental challenges in children. Um, That being said, even within that community, you can have, um, you know, therapists who are not as... um, savvy in sensory integration tools. Um, I'm a physical therapist, uh, but a lot of physical therapists don't have a background in sensory integration. That was all uh, information that, you know, 
education that I got, you know, through through school, through um, specialty training, and I just, you know, the different experiences I had happened to um, be centered around a lot of sexual integration, um, you know, kinds of settings. So I became very adept at that, but not all physical therapists get that. Um, more occupational therapists tend to have some kind of sensory integration background um, if they're working with those early education kiddos. Um, so, so starting with your with your googling on your on your phone or your computer, you know, in your community, I would I would Google sensory integration, uh, sensory integration clinic, sensory integration therapy. Um, Go visit clinics. Talk to the therapist. Um, see what it looks like. Uh, people can certainly take a look at our website. We have lots and lots of you know pictures of you know different you know activities and the therapies that are offered, and it will give you an idea of you know what are the kinds of things that you want to seek out. Um, so you know it takes. It takes a little bit of work, but the first thing is educating yourself about what all the options are out there, and that there really are more things than just a handwriting coach or uh, medication you know, to help your child. And right. also just understanding understanding child development. You know what what is vestibular input? You know what kinds of things you know might your child benefit from, even with you going to the park and different activities you can do. Um, you know, so, you know, knowledge really helps to kind of expand your awareness of um, different different things. Another tool out there is something called craniosacral therapy. It's a very gentle um, manual therapy that's um, extremely effective with kids with all different kinds of developmental issues, um, certainly anxiety, restlessness, you know, um, Problems with their sensory system turning on and off. Um, so, you know, looking for a craniosacral therapist who works with children specifically uh, might be a good avenue you know, to explore as well. Nice. Well, let's talk about age. So, maybe I've got a nine year old or a 12 year old and uh, holy crap, I'm listening to this most excellent podcast here and now. <laughs> and and uh, I've, I've had the, uh, I took the more traditional route and, and now there's so many side effects. I'm lost in the wilderness. Um, how does, how does, I mean, once they're teenagers, that's a whole different ball game. Ha ha. But um, I know. But yeah, as far as probably. as far as age and and kids, how pliable? I mean, do they do um, as they get older? Does it become more difficult, or how does that work? So, um, it you know, back in the old days, it used to be, uh, you know, we were taught you had your certain amount of brain cells and. And that was it. Now we know a lot more about neuroplasticity and the ability for the brain to change no matter how old you are. Um, and that certainly is true with developmental issues as well. Um, it, that being said, if you look at how a child grows and develops, 
and just think about the first three years of life, all the changes that take place in those three years, it's very rapid. So if you have red flags that show up during those three years, and in my book I have specific to age, what are the red flags that might warrant a closer look? You know, and um, it's not, you know, you have one or two of these things, but it's a pattern of of, uh, things together. Um, But the earlier you can identify challenges, it's just it's to your benefit to address them early because you can kind of jump on to that rapid change. Um, right up until, you know, through pre-adolescence, you can actually still make a, a very big change, um, you know, fairly rapidly, which I mean six months to two years. So we're not talking days or weeks, but, it, you know, it, it's a pattern of how you do things. Um, when you get into high school, we can still work with kids, but there's different, you have to relate to them differently. You know, they're not going to be wanting to swing with um, a bunch of six and seven year olds in the big gym or, you know, climbing on the climbing wall <laughs> with other kids right. doing obstacle courses. So, you know, we have, um, and this is where kind of the concussion rehab came in, where we have so much overlap. Uh, we have a health and wellness. Um, side of our practice and the concussion rehab kind of came about because if you have a concussion, it throws you back into a sensory integration crisis, just like our kids with developmental issues with functional vision and vestibular problems. When you have a concussion, you have a lot of those same symptoms and we treat them differently. There's a different etiology, but we address the same, the same systems. So with your adolescents and your adults, we can use different tools, like uh, we have something called the DynaVision that works on reaction time, and um, it's, you know, it's a, a sports enhancement you know, program as well. Or we have interactive metronome. Um, we have you know, different you know, fit lights and, and things that we can use to work you know, with kids with sensory integration problems as well as with uh, concussion rehab, um, with, you know, kids who want to enhance their sports performance. You know, they're just trying to get to be better athletes. You know, it's the same kinds of treatments. You don't have to um, have something that's, you know, not working to benefit from having some kind of enhanced uh, therapy. But again, you need to know what those things are so you can go looking for them. Right. Oh, sure. Well, an hour can go by pretty fast. Now, now's the time to put the spotlight on you. Can you tell us about your books, about your websites, and any services that you're offering? Sure. Well, if if you're in the Dallas, Texas area, we do we have a clinic, Integrative Pediatric Therapy, and we call it IPT Kids. Um, we have our website is iptkids.com um, has a lot about all of our different uh, therapies that we offer. Uh, we also have a concussion clinic called uh, Integrative Concussion Therapy or concussion-therapy.com if you want to learn more about concussions and the different therapies that can help in um, the rehab of, of those. Um, we see all ages for concussion uh, in the pediatric side. We see Obviously, all all children, up even through adolescence. 
Um, and then we have the health and wellness side where we'll even see adults who are you know, trying to enhance different things and just have healthy aging. Um, so that's kind of our the clinic opportunities. We've got a great staff of over 20 therapists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, and uh, speech therapists who all work together. So we have a very collaborative um, group of people. We do feeding therapy. We do scoliosis treatment. We do sports, you know, uh, concussion developmental, pediatrics, the works. Um, then I have two books that I've written. There was a When Kids Fly. Uh, my latest one, Sensory Processing Solutions, was is kind of the the sequel to that or the expanded version of When Kids Fly uh, that kind of incorporates more, gets into functional vision, um, some things that you can do preventatively for uh, for your babies, you know, like not swaddling them for too long, like just a couple of weeks at the most. Um, the importance of tummy time, you know, all those kinds of things that, that um, parents seem to struggle with today that are really good for, for newborns and developing a good foundation to build on. Um, so we've got lots of resources out there, and you know, if anybody has any questions, they can certainly um, get in touch with us at the clinic um, in in Dallas. And I just wish everybody a, a, a good journey and in, in learning more and how to help your kids and grandkids. And there there is a lot out there. So just keep an open mind. And um, you know, our, our children deserve our love and attention, and and helping to set up you know the best beginning that we can for them, I think. Very nice. Well, um, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and it was great to visit with you, and hope it was helpful to everybody out there. We've been talking with Dr. Sally Fryer-Dietz, and the topic tonight is the name of her latest book. Sensory Processing Solutions. We've, we've talked about um, adult, well, I don't know, karma, stigmas, propensities, whatever, on this show many times over the many years. And often, 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 uh, when we struggle as adults, the... I don't know what I'd say. The imprinting that uh, that we're struggling with as adults is actually stigmas we took on as children. In other words, your psyche as a as a little kid can be I, I don't know uh, seared, imprinted, um, and and that can set you off on a kind of a like a polarization where um, as an adult you prefer to be on one side of the coin and the other side of the metaphorical coin you just don't want anything to do with it you just don't I don't want to go there I don't want to go there I don't want to go there and there's not a quote adult reason for that and I don't know how many times we've had guests on the show that says yep 
hear that all the time and go back to your childhood and some somewhere came along and you know clobbered you clobbered your psyche and that hasn't been resolved and if you want to bring your adult experience if you're struggling with something and you know can't hold down a job can't hold down a relationship you know um that there's a very high probability it's not exact all the time but that there's stigmas from your childhood that are still quite active quite prominent quite dominant in your psyche later on as an adult so i'm just i'm just delighted for tonight's episode it it was very nice having Dr. Sally Fryer Dietz share her extensive experience, and I loved how she articulated examples that might help you, the listener, if you've got kids, or maybe even if if there's stigmas in your adult experience that you might want to root out. Well. Time goes by pretty fast. I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us. Here we are at the end of the show, and here you are, too. I appreciate it when you show up for yourself. Always a pleasure. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living broadcast. If you're looking for spiritual resources, there's literally hundreds of of podcasts just like this one, free online. You can find them at newhumanliving.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, I write a weekly blog that helps you contemplate the nature of nature, contemplate the nature of your own human genome, contemplate your own human potential. How powerful is that? I can say it's powerful because you are powerful. I want to thank you for joining us in tonight's broadcast. I appreciate you, the listener. Until next time, thanks for listening.